Luke chapter 7. Let me read this uh, to you. We're going to start in verse 36. It says this, uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful, uh, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, and she is a sinner. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and she did not, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We are in chapter four of our series, uh, uh, our fifth week of messy spirituality. Um, If you're reading along, it's chapter four. That's what our small groups will be talking about this week. Um, Real relationships are messy. My pursuit of a relationship with God has been messy. And I would bet if we were all honest, your relationship with God has been uh, just as messy. But if we've learned anything over the last few weeks, we know that Jesus loves messy people, right? Jesus pursues messy people. That's the gospel message that while we were yet sinner, Christ died for us. So whether we accept it or not, Jesus pursues us. But it's not until we come to grips with our mess, until we admit our mess, does a real relationship with Jesus ever begin. And so in today's story, we have messy people. We have messy religious people. And we have messy sinful people or or labeled sinful people. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of slow this down, go back to the story and kind of stop throughout and and, and bring some things to our attention. So first, back in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now you hear reclined at the table. If you're familiar with the context back then, the, the dinner table was low to the floor, so they would have sat on pillows, they would have reclined. Um, Jesus' feet would have been uh, off to the side or, or behind him, and that's where we find this woman gathered at his feet. I couldn't imagine eating dinner like this with four kids on the floor, but uh, I feel like we're there already sometimes. But So verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, we don't know who uh, exactly this woman is. We don't know her name. It's not given. Luke's gospel identifies her as a sinful woman. 
um, leading most traditions to assume or to portray her as a prostitute. Other gospels that tell the story uh, say that it was just a woman. They don't indicate her type of lifestyle. And we're not sure how she even heard about the party, but it becomes quickly obvious that she wasn't expected to be there. I read somewhere this week that in in this kind of moment in culture, that it was uncommon for women to be uh, present at this type of dinner parties, right? And if there was a woman present, she was either a prostitute or an escort. So maybe this is why she's assumed to be a prostitute. But from what I could gather in this particular occasion in Luke 7, she wasn't on the guest list. Now, if Simon was throwing a a dinner party, a dinner banquet for the town, uh, it would have probably been in his courtyard of of his house, right? And it it wouldn't have been uncommon for, for strangers or for uninvited guests to show up. Outsiders would have been expected to show up. They wouldn't have been welcome, but they would have been expected. And a couple of reasons you would find that outcasts would show up because maybe they were in hopes of some table scraps or to listen to what um, the elite were talking about. But it seems that to, this was more of a, a private dinner party here, a smaller guest list. And the meal would have been at the table inside the house, not in the courtyard where people could just come in. And so the actual dining area of this house would have been off limits to this woman. Did anyone ever grow up in a house with a formal living room? You know what I'm talking about? You know, like, we don't see them much anymore, but that, that room where no one was allowed into, you guys know, it's like it was the room that's not the family room, right? Nice furniture there, couches with plastic. Anybody have couches with plastic on them? Yeah, you don't want to admit it, right? But, but we had a formal living room as a kid. And as kids, we weren't allowed in there at all, right? Except for two occasions. We went in there for our prom photos and for family, family occasions, like holiday occasions, right? But otherwise, you never went into those rooms. My, my parents had this giant um, uh, record player with an, with an 8-track uh, inside. Anybody know what an 8-track? Anybody have? Yeah, some of you know what an 8-track is, right? You know, you weren't supposed to touch it, right? The furniture you weren't supposed to, to sit on. I remember sneaking in there trying to play the, the Oak Ridge Boys on my, my dad's 8-track. And that's why I don't like country music because I had started that, you know. But uh, Jody and I... We were, we were given a couch in college. It was our first couch. It was this huge, massive, white couch. It was awesome. It was, it was used, but it, but it was awesome. We didn't care, right? It looked brand new. And here's why. We went to church the next week, and the teenagers of the parents who gave it to us told us that, that they never even sat on that couch before. That it was actually, it was in the room that they weren't allowed to go in, and their parents wanted to remodel and get new, new furniture. And so they gave us a couch that no one had sat on before. And I looked at Jody in that moment. I said, that's going to be us one day. That's going to be us. We're going we're to give our, our couches away to college kids. Except ours are going to smell like dogs and four kids. But they're, they're free. They're not going to be new. They're, we're going to give them. We're going to give you them. So. But anyways, for some reason, we've created rooms in our houses that, that, that no one was allowed to go into, right? That only certain people could go at certain times. And this is how the house would have looked like in the, in, for the Pharisee. That's how it would have been set up. It was very similar to the design of the church uh, during that time period. There would have been uh, a porch area uh, that was common for poor and, and homeless and, and outcast people to show up on. Uh, there was a, a dinner party where they would come and they would begin to beg for scraps out on the porch. Um, there would, may have been a, a courtyard where they could have gathered uh, to hear what the rabbi was saying, what the elite was talking about. Um, I got some photos that we're going to throw up in the back. That is an original church design very similar to the temple, very similar to a Pharisee's house where you would have the front porch where most people, uh, anyone could kind of gather on. And then you'd enter into the narthex, which would be something like our coffee bar area, where 
uh, um, not just the outsiders, but it was the outsiders that were stuck in the porch. They weren't allowed to come into this. was more of a common gather area. It would move to the nave, which is more of the membership. The, in, the, in, the, in the temple, you would see it as the court of Israel, the men of Israel. And then as you got closer and closer to the altar, um, or in, in, uh, if you some symbolism would be the closer and closer you'd get to the presence of God. And so you'd see this, he'll flash through the other pictures of the, the, the Solomon's temple. You see the same thing, starting with the gate you enter into, into the back of the Holy of Holies, where only the priest could pass through the veil. Uh, and they can only do it one time a year to offer sacrifices for the community. But um, that's kind of how the setup was. And that was very similar to how the um, Pharisee's house would have looked. So even the construction of houses, the temple, the church, in their design, there were certain rooms off limits. Certain people were only allowed so close to the presence of God, which is one of the scandalous parts of this story. This woman not only was breaking all these customs when she entered into the house uh, where, this, where, this, where they were dining, but she approached Jesus and fell at his feet. And it was symbolic of what would happen on the cross where the veil would be torn, where we would all have access to God. In verse 38, it says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So here's what's happening. You have Simon, well-known religious leader in the community. He's throwing a huge party. He's invited all these other religious friends over, right? And then he sent word, and he said he wants Jesus to come. And we're not sure if the disciples were there with them. Um, in the other Gospels, it talks about a similar event with different details. Um, and so some theologians kind of said that this, this was an entirely separate event. But we can only speculate as to why the Pharisee wanted Jesus there in the first place. Was he wanting just to hang out with Jesus? Was he wanting to, to meet him? Or maybe he was trying to test his orthodox, right? Try to trap him or, or test him. That's what the Pharisees loved to do that. They wanted to catch him doing something that the law prohibited. We know this woman, she's entered into the house uninvited. She's let her hair down, which I also read is a, was a divorceable offense in that culture. That it was considered a sexual advancement on a, another man. She let her hair down. There was physical contact with a man that wasn't her husband in, in public when she kissed his feet and poured perfume on him. So there was a list of rules that this woman was, was breaking in this moment. And why, why would she do this? Maybe she knew who Jesus was. Maybe she heard his message earlier in that day. She may have been at the door the entire time, right, waiting for this moment to engage Jesus. She saw that no one had greeted him with a kiss. No one had offered him to wash his feet or to anoint his head with oil. And so she falls before him, washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, kisses his feet and pours oil on them. Maybe When she looked into his eyes, she saw a man who loved her, not in the shadows, but in the light of day. And for the first time, she felt real worth. For the first time, her identity was in her creator and not in her past. We don't know why she was there. We do know that when she saw him, though, she comes completely undone. Something drew her to the feet of Jesus. Verse 39 When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, so for the sake of the story, let's let's assume she was a prostitute, right? I want to give you a little info I found on, on statistics on prostitutes. 
It says that 85% of them were sexually abused as children. 70% from a family member. They thought they were willingly going into this lifestyle. It says 75% of them are homeless or formerly homeless. Majority are drug dependent. And many are dealing with mental disease. It says 80% are victims of multiple rapes. They show that in the estimated 16 times a year they're raped by their boss and 33 times a year by strangers. 90% have thought of suicide as the only way out and 50% have attempted it. Before you cast judgment on their immorality like the Pharisee did, we should try to understand how they got there or what their life is really like in case we thought they enjoyed it. So we know that no one is born a prostitute. She was, at some point, someone's little girl. Her mother had dreams and hopes for her, but now they're gone. Maybe she was rejected by her husband, and this was the only way she could find a way to afford to make money for her and her kids. And now she finds herself fully rejected by man. Well, at least in public, right? So we're not sure how she got into the position that she's in. But society has deemed her as an outcast, as unworthy of their presence. And here we are once again. We find Jesus in close proximity with the outcast, with the undesirable, with sinners, being irresponsible with his love. The religious people watching, it made them sick, right? It made them mock Jesus. He is no prophet. This is not the son of God. Look who he's hanging out with. Look who he lets touch him. There's no way this is the Messiah. He eats with sinners. He lets a prostitute wash his feet. If he was really holy, he wouldn't be caught dead around these. And I think it's tragedy. And the church's teaching on holiness sort of wrecked us. Holiness means to be separate, to be other, to be set apart. And we've turned it into becoming isolated to be careful about who we come into contact with. Because if you remember, Paul says, bad company corrupts good morals, right? Ironically, Paul was talking about the hypocrites inside the church, not the people outside. We need to figure out a way as Christ followers where we can live with one another and do life together Where everything someone says or someone does doesn't offend us. Where we can accept people where they are and where people can feel comfortable in our presence and we can feel comfortable in their presence without compromising important values that we hold on to. As a church, we have to be okay with other people's search for spirituality, even if it makes you uncomfortable. We need to live in a way that Jesus lived. What, how did that happen? Sinners flocked to Jesus, right? Sinners loved Jesus. They loved to hang out with him. They drank with him. They crashed dinner parties just to be near him. They wanted to be around Jesus. And the church people, the religious people of the day hated it. Let's be honest, church. Do you want to live like Jesus lived? Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you made the religious people uncomfortable because of the people you were hanging out with. And going to the Grove doesn't count, right? (laughs) Outside of this place. But when's the last time you made other people uncomfortable because of who you were hanging out with? 
Real spirituality is messy. And you're going to have relationships with messy people. And I want us to be a church that welcomes messy people. Welcomes them to messy spirituality. And what's awesome is that Jesus meets us in that mess. When I took this job, I was asked, what is my favorite passage of scripture? And I said, Luke 15. But Jesus was accused of hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. See, Jesus ate with anyone. And here's why that's a big deal. We, we sort of miss this. To eat a meal with Jesus meant that you were received, welcomed, and accepted. He accepted you at a personal level. Jesus welcomed all to the table because he led with love. They ate together and lives were transformed. Verse 40, Jesus said, uh, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them loved, uh, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus always saw people. When he encountered people, he did not see theological issues. He did not see social problems or social status or categories or labels. He saw people. It didn't matter if it was a leper or the Roman centurion or a Samaritan woman or this prostitute. Jesus saw a person. Simon didn't see a person. He saw someone who didn't belong. He saw an outcast. He saw a prostitute. He saw that woman. Now, perhaps Jesus had a soft spot for this woman because we know that Jesus had two prostitutes in his genealogy. And when you're able to put names and, and, and faces with the broken, you begin to see them for more than just a societal label. People you know, people that you're friends with. We begin to see them as individuals created in the image of God. And I find it interesting that this woman isn't given a name in the story. Everyone knew who Simon was. They knew his name, that he was a Pharisee, that he was a religious leader, that he, he threw mad dinner parties, right? She was simply known as that woman. Everyone knew her by her sin. She had been labeled by society. Who do you see when you look at people at work? People that come to this church, that are at the store or the, or the coffee house. I'm often asked by people what my thoughts are on certain cultural issues or, or my position on certain groups of people. And I find it ironic that never does it seem that it's out of concern about the individual lives or the dignity of those people mentioned. Instead, it's more of a political football that we want to toss around or they want to test my orthodox. Let me ask you something. Do you see people anymore or do you just see labels? I took my son to feed people on the streets of Asheville last Thursday. I want my kids to see people, not issues. We learn name. We looked into their eyes. How often do we look into the eyes of strangers anymore? You see a guy holding the sign at the, at the stoplight and you're looking at your phone. And I'm guilty of this. I, I, I see the guy, I see the sign uh, asking for money. I don't see the person holding the sign. 
When you go to the store, do you say hello or just, just swipe your card and go, right? Do you use the self-scan line so that you don't have to talk to another human? Do you take time to learn the name of your server at the restaurant or your, your barista at the coffee house? We need to change the way in which we see and interact with people. We have some opportunities to make difference in people's lives. If we would just take the time to know them. And what would compel us to do this? It's the understanding that we all come by grace to the cross. That grace should compel us to love others. You see, Simon, it doesn't seem like he experienced that grace yet. And like most Pharisees, didn't have a need for Jesus or the cross. And you and I, we can't get it. We can't give grace until we receive it. Jesus goes on to say, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. In this moment, the visiting rabbi would have been the guest of honor. And, and the kiss was how you would receive a welcome guest into your home. They would kiss on the cheek if it was kind of an equal social rank. Or they would kiss on the hand if it was a higher social rank. And not doing this would be similar to having someone over to your house and not saying hello. Not shaking their hand or, or even acknowledging that they're, they're there. The foot washing was a mandatory requirement before meals. It was a standard practice to offer this. The host would wash the feet of someone of a higher rank. Or they would have a slave wash the feet of someone of equal ranking. And the oil was an optional gesture to offer olive oil to anoint the head of your guest. Simon the Pharisee did none of these. Have you ever been somewhere within a few minutes, you realize that you, you weren't invited? Like, almost like you were at the wrong place. Anyone ever been to a place like that? Yeah? All right, uh, Jody and I, we just got married first weekend uh, um, alone. We wanted to get away. We were living in uh, Lakeland, Florida as students. Um, uh, and so we went out to the Gulf Cor uh, Coast there, Venice Beach, Inglewood area of Florida. And it was about 3, 30, 4 o'clock, and we were kind of late. We wanted to have a late lunch and stuff like that. And so we're driving around, didn't know the place, didn't know any, anything. We saw this sign for the Cajun Club, and it looked, <laughs> it looked amazing. So we're like, hey, let, let's go get a lunch. It's kind of, you know, maybe some nice music, some Spicy food. I didn't know I was allergic to shrimp at that point. And so Cajun Club sounded good. So we're there about 3.30, 4 o'clock. We're sitting there. You know, no one, no one greets us at the door. We kind of says, seat yourself. And so we, see, we sit down and we're kind of just kind of sitting there waiting for something. And within minutes, about 50, and no offense, about 50 senior citizens walk through the door and, and sit together um, at this big area. And, and the server comes over to us and says, do you want turkey and mashed potato or meatloaf tonight? And we realized that we were at the wrong place. This wasn't a Cajun club. This was um, another place that didn't have Cajun stuff. So it was, we just felt we were awkward. We just felt like we weren't supposed to be there. So no offense. We love senior citizens. Don't be offended. I don't know what I meant. <laughs> Those are my tithers. I really love you guys. So. Uh, so anyway, Simon's dinner party would have quickly gotten awkward, right, for Jesus. Uh, because everyone would have seen that, that he wasn't offered these things. That these weren't, these weren't offered to this rabbi. But this woman kissed his feet, washed with her tears, dried with her hair, and poured out an entire container of oil on his feet. And here's the significance of her emptying, emptying this, and breaking this entire bottle. She didn't need it anymore. 
Jesus' love and grace changed her life. That bottle of oil represented her value and her worth and her purpose. She used it in her job and how she would anoint the men that would visit her. But now it was broken and poured out at the feet of Jesus. And in verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to invite the band to join me on stage as we we kind of close with this. When Simon sees this woman, he sees a woman with the greater debt. His spiritual pride, his elitism has taught him that. He sees himself as one who, who owes God very little. And so he doesn't love much because he doesn't owe much. And at the end of the day, this parable wasn't to show the difference between Simon and the woman, but to show that they were the same. That she needed grace for a heart that was broken. And he needed grace for a heart that was hard. Last week, we learned how to love like a Samaritan. This week, the prostitute teaches us how to receive grace. See, Jesus went to the cross for you and I and for the Pharisee, for the prostitute. He went there to remove labels and to break down categories. And on the cross, the veil was torn so that all could come, just as you are. So today, in just a few moments, we're going to take communion and you're invited to come and receive grace.